for that. That was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to briefly recap last night and reintroduce, not the full version, the cliff note, Susan Heck. <laughs> Some of you weren't here last night, and I want to encourage you to take time and get on our website. Her message will be posted there, and you can watch and listen to her, that session that you missed last night. Um, I would even encourage us to go back, all of us, and re-listen to it. There was a lot of um, weightiness to that message, and... I think it would be very profitable for us all to take some time and re-listen to it. So it will be posted on the FBC website. And um, I just wanted to, for those that weren't here, and even us, like I said, repetition, repetition, right? Um, We need to continually be reminded. We were in um, Psalm 101, and... Susan exhorted us that we need to have zero tolerance for a proud heart and that we need to be people that are trustworthy and faithful. We need to be fat women. (laughs) You will never forget that, ladies. (laughs) Faithful, available, and teachable. And you need to be blameless, integrity, set apart, Um, and the things that we don't want to see in our character is a haughtiness, arrogance, slandering, Uh, just destruction comes with all of that. So that is not even scratching the surface of what we came away with last night. She gave us a practical vow to maintain a holy life. It was the acronym of PROMISE, to pray, um, resist temptation, older women in your life, discipleship, discipleship, memorizing and meditating on God's word, intent on Christ, sensitive to the Holy Spirit, yielding yourself to that. And last, but definitely not least at all, examining your life before Scripture, If these things you're not seeing, she said, in your life, then you need to examine, are you truly in Christ? Are you just a professor or a possessor of Christ? So that's what we came away with last night. Oh, I came away with last night. (laughs) Um, and, um, And today we are going to be ever more encouraged. I am confident of that. So let's give a warm welcome to Susan as she brings forth more from the Word of God today. Thank you. I know now why we're not to have uh, drinks in the auditorium, because I spilled my tea. I asked Rebecca, I said, I I drink a throat coat that helps my uh, voice stay strong a lot. It's the favorite tea of all singers and speakers, and so I had it down at the breakfast nook. And I said, could I just leave it out there and then sip on it through the day? And she goes, sure, let me go get a lid. So while she went and got me a lid, I spilled the whole thing on my skirt, which is sopping wet right now. And I haven't wet my pants, just so you know. And, uh, but I'm thankful I'm in this skirt because you can't tell. But it reminded me of something funny that happened to my husband. You know when the 
uh, cars came out that had the seat heaters. And then, you know, so years ago we were going to uh, lunch with some close friends of ours. And on the way there, he didn't know the, it was a seat heater in the front seat. And so we got to the restaurant and he looked at his friend, Michael, and he goes, I don't, I don't know what to tell you, but I think I've wet my pants <laughs> in your car. And uh, he told me later, he said, when he realized it was a seat heater, Michael said, and he just started laughing. He goes, no, your seat heater's on. And Doug said, you know, I thought that time had come in my life. I've gotten so old now. I wet my pants. So anyway, as my friend Carolyn says, who's 91, who mentors me, she says, Susan, agent ain't for sissies. And so it's really true. Aging is not for sissies. So uh, Rebecca mentioned the book table, and I'm just going to talk about the little ones right now, and I'll talk about the Bible studies before our next session. But this is just something if you want to go and get the QR code for uh, getting immediately to our uh, social media, YouTube, and website, and things like that. So if you want to do that, you can do that. Also, for you that are in ministry, uh, pastor's wives, elder's wives, deacon's wives, uh, uh, children's ministry, any type of leadership in the church, uh, we had our first uh, Shepherd's Wives Conference this year in Illinois, and next year we're scheduled to be in Jacksonville, Florida, uh, where we will host our second Shepherd's Wives Conference. We had about 300 last year. We're, we're probably going to have uh, probably close to 1,000 this year. There's such a need. Being a pastor's wife for 46 years and realizing that this is an area that is not reached. Uh, there isn't much for women in leadership to strengthen them, encourage them, help them. And you can go on shepherdswife.com and listen to the messages from last year. Uh, but if you want are interested in this, there's some of these on the table, who's speaking and uh, the workshops, everything are already on up on the website if you register. So um, anyway, I wanted to let you know about that. Uh, the littlest book on my table is The Liberating Gospel that I wrote in lieu of an outreach for Muslims, Mormons, and Jehovah's Witnesses. And some Christians were there, women. There was about 300 women, but mainly it was an outreach for different uh, cults and things like that. So <clears throat> if you're going to have one time to speak to lost women, you're not going to talk about about to live a holy life, right? You're going to talk about the gospel. And so this is the material I wrote for that. Four points to the gospel. They all start with the letter L. So if you yourself do not know how to share your faith, uh, this would be a good little tool for you. Or if you want to give it to someone who doesn't know Christ. We had a lady recently in Rhode Island, about 200 of them. Uh, I asked her why. I go, why do you want 200? She said, well, when I die, I want everyone that comes to my funeral to have one. So she wanted to make sure they had the gospel. So I thought that was really good. Uh, she's preparing. I said, are you dying soon? She goes, no, but uh, her husband had actually passed away uh, not too long ago. And she said, I just want to make sure at my funeral, everyone gets the gospel. Uh, what does a spirit-filled marriage look like? Uh, this is where I take the 13 details that really already need to be in place with you and your husband. You need to possess these 13 things before you can have uh, the things that Paul mentions that require us to have a spirit-filled marriage, where the husband is loving his wife the way Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, and where the wife is respecting and submitting and honoring her husband. And so that's a good little tool. Uh, if you're discipling someone, doing premarital counseling, if you yourself have a challenging marriage, uh, this might be a good tool for you to purchase. Uh, Call to Scripture Memory is my journey through Scripture memorization. When I met my husband, he had most of the New Testament memorized, and the man who mentored him had the entire Bible memorized. And uh, the only person I know that's uh, ever memorized the whole Bible. But anyway, so he encouraged me to memorize Scripture, 
And uh, I did memorize the epistle to Colossians when I was 18 years of age, and I used his method back then in hopes that he'd ask me to marry him, and it worked. And so he also wanted a woman that knew Greek, church history. I didn't know any of that stuff then. So, uh, but anyway, he married me anyway, and really almost uh, uh, didn't marry me the night before the wedding. Almost called it off because he began to realize I probably wasn't a believer, which I wasn't. But anyway, he did marry me, and. The Lord was very kind to me to give me a godly husband for 46 years. But anyway, this is my journey through scripture memorization. Uh, Who should memorize when, where, how, and I give a lot of tips on how to memorize God's word. A call to discipleship. We talked a little bit about this last night uh, with the acronym I gave you. Uh, Ladies, I still cannot emphasize enough the importance. If you're not in a mentoring relationship, that is a command by God. Older women are to teach young women. Also, Jesus says we're to go and make disciples. Mathetes, the Greek word. The Greek word is you attach yourself to another person for the purpose of growing towards Christ's likeness. It is biblical. Um, I have two mentors I've had for 37 years. Uh, I know they're both very close to heaven. They're, they're both aging and getting in very poor health, but I'm thankful to God. I still meet with both of them. I'm more on an informal basis, but they still bo- both pour into me, and I'm very thankful. I also am able to mentor many, many women, and I'm so thankful for that. Many pastors' wives now that I try to... Uh, disciple and pour my life into because I have such a burden for them. But what is discipleship? How do we do it? When do we do it? Where do we do it? And I give a lot of practical tips for that. Uh, This is a message of assurance. We're getting ready to get into 1 John here in just a minute. Uh, John wrote 1 John for two reasons mainly, but one is that they might know for sure they have eternal life. And then he gives 20 tests how you can know for sure you have eternal life. You don't have to be in doubt. And yet I meet, in fact, the other night I met with two women in my own church that are still struggling with their salvation. And uh, so with one of them, I've gone through this book once, and she's still struggling. Uh, But this should give valid evidence, 20 tests, and I go through each test in 1 John. Uh, This is how you know you know him if you keep his commandments. This is how you know you know him if you love the brethren. So I go through each one of the 20 tests explaining what those are. If you struggle with your salvation, uh, you know someone who does, that doesn't have assurance of salvation, uh, I would encourage you to purchase this and go through it with them. Speaking the truth in love in a post-truth world, uh, as a pastor's wife, former pastor's wife and a biblical counselor, um, I think that one of the things I run into the most that is I find very a little bit frustrating is women especially, I'm sure they're men, but I don't counsel men, so don't know about what they do, but uh, women really have a hard time speaking the truth in love. They would rather be bitter towards someone, gossip, slander them, hate them in their heart. They refuse to go to the person and say, hey, you know, I've got this problem with you, or let's, let's work at this, or they refuse to go to their husband uh, when he's in sin, and or their child, or their co-worker, or whatever. And so they'll do all the wrong things instead of going and speaking the truth in love. What is speaking the truth in love? Why don't we do it? Uh, where do we do it? When do we do it? How do we do it? And I give practical tips in the back on how to do that in a difficult marriage, maybe a child uh, that you're having a hard time, maybe even a grown child you're having a hard time speaking the truth in love to. Even people that do your services, like the internet, you know, you're the per- people that run your uh, internet or your cell phone. I mean, do you ever get frustrated with those kind of phone calls? And I remember being on the phone one time, and I said, well, then either you were lying or the person before you is lying, because you guys have two different stories about my internet. So, uh, and I tried to be very kind and very gracious, but we need to hold even people in the world accountable, right, for doing the right thing. And uh, we have people today that don't want to work, they don't want to 
uh, I have a friend and she uh, she said she got rid of her Terminex, which is the people that come and spray for your bugs. And uh, I said, uh, why'd you do that? She said, well, we looked at our ring doorbell and we discovered that when he was supposed to be spraying around our house once a month, he was actually sitting in his car, in his van or whatever, his vehicle, his service vehicle, writing out an invoice for us, but sitting in his car for an hour and then putting it on our front door, never did the service. So she said, we canceled. And then she said, then I get on the review of this company, found out that a lot of people were discovering that. They really weren't getting their service, but they were getting billed for something. We need to hold people accountable, right? We need to speak the truth in love. This is wrong. Uh, this is sinful. This is not right. You're not a business of integrity. And of course, now we have a way of letting other people know, uh, you know, when they ask you to do a little review and speak the truth in love. And uh, so we need to even do that in our lost culture. Ladies, we don't, we're not truth tellers. Um, the world is not truth tellers. And even in the church, we're not really uh, doing very well in this area. Last but not least, uh, putting off life-dominating sins. So the seven top sins women commit, seven biblical motivations uh, for putting off sin, and then seven practical tips on just how do I practically put off sin in my life. So if those can be a blessing to you, or even if they can be a cursing to you, uh, <laughs> Debbie will help you uh, at the book table. So I know several of you were not here last night. I can tell by looking out in the audience because last night this was the largest side and that was the weaker side, but now you're kind of even. So there's a few more of you here. So we did begin last night, as Rebecca's already said, uh, speaking the truth in, in love by cultivating truth for life, by living holy. And we looked at Psalm 101, a vow to live a holy life. David's desire to live a holy life in his home, in his heart, and in his city even. He wanted the city of Jerusalem to be holy. And so we talked about uh, what we do with our eyes, what we do uh, with our feet, with our hands. We looked at all those areas that David wanted to consecrate to the Lord. And so I hope that was a help to you. And I did want to give you some tips, which Rebecca already reiterated those on the acronym PROMISE. And so I hope those will help you. Those are just practical things on uh, maintaining that vow to live a holy life. So this morning we're going to turn into the New Testament and continue to look at a call to holy living by making sure we're walking in the light and not walking in darkness. I sh as Rebecca said, that we're not just a professor of Christianity, but we are a possessor of Christianity. Today there are many people who are claiming to walk in the light, and yet they're walking in darkness. When you get to know them, you find out they are not walking in the light. And so, ladies, we want to make sure uh, that we're living holy by making sure we're walking in the light. So if you would turn to 1 John, 1 John chapter 1. We're just going to look at a few verses this morning uh, as we open up our time. But before we do, let me pray and ask for the Lord's blessing. Our Father in heaven, we come to you with humble hearts this morning, grateful that you have called us by your name, that you have transferred us out of darkness into light. You have transferred us into the kingdom of the Son that you love. And yet, Father, I fear that many professors of Christianity today, maybe even some women in this room this morning, are professing to walk in the light. They claim to know the light, and yet they're not living in that. They're living in darkness. They're walking in darkness. They're wandering around. They do not know where they're going. Father, I pray that you would help us to truly examine our heart, make sure, Lord, that's the most important thing when we step out of this life into eternity, to make sure 
that we are walking in the light. And so, Father, as we examine this passage of Scripture, we pray that our hearts would uh, not do spiritual gymnastics, that we would not look at the person in front of us, behind us, beside us, but that we would look at our heart alone and examine ourselves, make sure, make sure that we will not be one on that day that says, Lord, I I did all this stuff. Not the one that you say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I did not know you. So, Father, help us. Uh, We know that there will be many deceived. You tell us that. And we do not want to be among their company. So give me grace, I pray. Give me speaking grace. Give these precious ladies listening grace. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, several years ago, I was visiting with a lady uh, who left our church. She and her whole family left our church. And usually when someone, by the way, as a pastor's wife, I just want to say, if you ever decide to leave a church, it's always good to go and talk to the pastor and tell him why. And uh, so a lot of people don't, and you're always like, well, why'd you leave? You know, let us know. Maybe it's something we can change. Maybe it's something we can't change. But anyway, she and her family had left, and I was trying to maintain a relationship with her, so I asked her if we could get together for lunch, and she said yes. And I said, I'm just trying to find out. I said, why did you leave our church anyway? I can't, I can't figure it out. And I will never probably forget her response. It haunted me. She said this, and I quote, we knew if we stayed at your church, we would have to change the way we live our lives. It was too uncomfortable for us to worship there. I was surprised with her answer, but I was also grieved. And I thought, what a sad commentary on their family life. And you know, as the years passed, I learned that indeed sinful behavior was taking place among many of their family members. I don't know what's happened to her. That's probably been 15 years ago. But ladies, with that true story in mind, I would like to pose a question to you this morning as we begin our second session in this conference, and that is this. Do you think it's possible for you and I to live a life of sin and still be on our way to heaven? Now, many Christians, even in the Reformed circles, have bought into a gospel which says you can come to Christ, you can believe on him, but you don't have to change your behavior. You can continue the way that you're living. Uh, You've got your fire insurance. You've got eternal life. You're on your way to heaven. So you're liberated now. You have all these new liberties in Christ. You're free. But my question is, what would Jesus say to the gospel that is being proclaimed today? What did Jesus say through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle John? What does the one who's pure light say? about the gospel of our day. Well, let's read as we read 1 John 1, 5 to 7, and note what our Father says through John, through the Holy Spirit. This is a message which you've heard from the beginning and declaring to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us, from all sin. Now, it's not my habit to jump into a portion of scripture. Uh, I like to teach books of the Bible, but uh, just quickly, I just want to tell you that John is writing to the church at Ephesus. 
And he's writing for two reasons, basically. He says in chapter 1, or chapter 5, verse 13, these things I've written unto you, not only that you'll believe on the name of the Son of God, but that you might know for sure you have eternal life. And so he's writing 1 John to a group of believers, and he's wanting to give them assurance that they indeed are genuine believers. Reason being, the false teachers were invading the church at Ephesus, and I don't have time to get into the Gnostic religion and what they taught, but they were changing the nature of who Christ was. They were claiming that uh, you could remain in sin. It didn't matter what you did in your body. You could fornicate. You could commit adultery. You could do anything you wanted. You weren't responsible for the deeds done in your body. And they were teaching this doctrine in the church. And so many of the church, the members at Ephesus were becoming very confused. What is my relationship with Christ? Do I really have a sin nature? Uh, can I really go on sinning and still be in heaven? What is, what is the truth? And so John is coming in and he's writing to them uh, to make sure that they understand what the gospel really is and what is required of them and giving them assurance of how they can know that for sure they have eternal life by giving them those 20 tests that I mentioned while ago. So that's just kind of a little bit of the background. I wish I had time to get into more of it. Uh, but ladies, I'll just say this. Gnosticism, you might hear that word a lot. Uh, we have it today. It's not called Gnosticism today. There's nothing new under the sun, as, as Solomon says. There's nothing new under the sun. We have it today. It's called the Word of Faith Movement and the New Apostolic Reformation Movement. So if you know anybody that's caught up in that heretical heresy, it's the same thing. And uh, they basically say, you know, I can do whatever I want, and I'm not responsible for the deeds that I do in my body. And they have a lot of other erroneous doctrines. So anyway, that might help you a little bit if you know anybody that's caught up in that. But anyway, you have an outline there before you. We're going to look at the character of God in verse 5, the character of those walking in darkness, and then the character of those walking in the light. And ladies, my prayer for you and for myself when we get done here in just a little bit, that you can say 100%, I have the character of one who's walking in the light, that last category. I am not walking in darkness. I am walking in the light. So John's been talking about the declaration of God, that which we have seen from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've looked upon, we've touched him, we've handled him. And so he's declaring who God is, who Jesus is. He's setting him forth because of the false teachers that have come in and denied who Christ really was, and also trying to uh, weaken the resolve of those within the church to live a holy life. And so he continues on with his declaration of God and talks about this God that they claim to worship and his character. Notice what he says. This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you, here's what God is like. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. John says, this is the message. This is the announcement. This is the divine communication that we've heard from God. In fact, the word for heard here is a kuo, which means not only to hear, but to obey, to listen under. Ladies, it's the same Greek word used for you, uh, for your children, according to Ephesians 6.1. Children are to what? Obey their parents, a kuo. They are to hear the instruction of a parent, and then they're to obey. And so I know I'm not teaching on parenting today, but ladies, you need to teach your children to listen to what you say, and then they need to obey the spoken word. As Elizabeth Elliot says, 
they need to do that with a happy heart, right? And so you want your children to obey, but with, and you know what? The Lord wants us to obey with a happy heart, right? His commands are not a burden. John says that. His commands are not a burden. They're not weighty some. Uh, they are a delight. So that's what John is saying. It is only as we obey what we hear that John says we desire to proclaim it. So John says, you want me to tell you what we have heard from Christ while he was here on earth? Do you want me to share with you what we have heard and obeyed? Here it is. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Ladies, here's the character of this God that you claim to profess this morning. He is light and there's absolutely no darkness in him. Now, what is John saying when he says God is light? Listen very carefully. John is not saying God is a light. That's a light right there. That is not what he's saying. He is saying he is light itself. I might say there is a light. Uh, there's a light. There's a light. There's a light. That's not what he's saying. God light. God is light. That is his nature. He is light. In fact, Paul puts it this way in 1 Timothy 6.16, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and glory forever. Amen. In fact, remember when we get to heaven, there's going to be no need for light. Why? Because the Lamb is the lamp of it. It's going to be so bright, you're not going to need your glasses anymore. Isn't that great? We're not going to need glasses anyway because we're going to have a perfect body. Isn't that going to be wonderful? Now, when did John hear this? When did John hear that Jesus was light? Well, remember, John's one of the 12 disciples, right? He was with Jesus. He was the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was Jesus' favorite, yeah? He was his BFF. And uh, so John heard Jesus make this declaration many times while he was being discipled by him. John 8, 12, Jesus said this, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. John 9, 5, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. John 12, a little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know while he's going. You can hear Jesus pleading. This is right before he goes into the upper room with the 12 disciples, right before Judas betrays him, right before the Sanhedrin's come and take him away. And he is making this last plea to the unbelieving Jews. And he says, while you have the light, believe in the light. Believe in the light so you can become sons of light. These were the last words that Jesus spoke. And then he departed and hid himself from them. They were wanting to kill him, and his time has not yet come yet. In fact, the last thing he says, I've come as light into the world that whoever believes in me should not walk in darkness. And you might say, Susan, why are you making a big deal about this? Why is it so important that I understand that God is light? I'll tell you why it's important, my friend. The fact that God is light tells us there's nothing secretive about him. He has nothing to hide. Nothing to hide. We talked about that last night. Ladies, if you want to vow to live a holy life, you don't hide. I, I'm, always, I'm always puzzled by Christians that don't want accountability, that don't want to share what's really going on in their life. God is unlike the men whom Jesus describes in John 3, 19, where he says, men love darkness 
rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. <laughs> they don't want anybody to, you know, that's why most crimes are done at night, right? So nobody can see what you are doing. Ladies, Jesus has nothing to hide. There's no sin in him. There's no secrets with God. He is light, and his message must be proclaimed openly. Ladies, this would do away with those that I know who are Christians who say their religion is a private matter. I always get puzzled by that. What do you mean your religion is a private matter? This is foreign to the God we claim to love and know. But also, the fact that God is light not only tells me he's transparent, he has nothing to hide, he's revealed everything about himself in the written word, but you know what? The fact that God is light gives me great hope. Gives me great hope. Why? Because God can show me how to live. How do I walk in the light? He leads me in the way that I go, right? As the psalmist says, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see what? Light. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Ladies, that gives me great hope because not only is God open and transparent, but he shows me how to walk in the light in these 66 books that he has left for us. Well, John not only says God is not only light, but John also says in him is no darkness at all. This is a double negative in the Greek. It's emphatic. There is absolutely, in no way, absolutely no darkness in him whatsoever. Not even a speck. Not even a tiny speck of darkness in him. Ladies, that's an amazing truth. In fact, the word for darkness here means the consequence or result of sin. God is light and in him there is no sin. He's absolutely pure. He's absolutely holy. So if you're taking notes, what is the characteristic of God? He's light. Not he is a light. He's light. And in him is no darkness at all. Well, John then moves from declaring the character of God to declaring the character of those who do not know him, those who walk in darkness. And ladies, I pray that you are not in this category in verse 6. Notice what he says. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. Now, the question might come to your mind, who's saying this? Who is saying, I have fellowship with God, but I'm really walking in darkness? Well, the false teachers, that's what they were claiming. They were saying they had fellowship with God. In fact, they thought they were in the know and everyone else was beneath them. They had a special hotline to heaven and uh, quite frankly, no one else measured up to that. So they were saying, yeah, I call them the if we sayers, you know, if we say this, if we say that. So they're saying, yeah, I have fellowship with God. I know God, but I walk in darkness. Ladies, I've met people like that today who have told me they know God, they have fellowship with God, and yet when you probe into their personal life, they're living a life of habitual sin that's not getting any better. They're walking in darkness. May I say to you this morning, I want to be very clear about this, anyone who professes fellowship with God and yet walks in darkness that doesn't have a changed life, they're not a believer. There is no way. Uh, even Paul says when he lists these horrible list of gross sins in Galatians and in Corinthians, he says in one of the passages, and some were such of you, <laughs> but now you're washed, you're clean. You've been sanctified. Are you perfect? No. 
But ladies, we don't walk in darkness. You know, people can say a lot of religious stuff, but Christ never, 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 never measures someone's relationship to him by what they say, ever. But it's by what they do. Remember what Jesus said? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things I say? Why do you do that? Ladies, the scriptures are replete with examples of this, but there are many that we would do well to recall. One I just mentioned, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? Or when James even says, what does it profit, my brethren, if a man says? What does it profit if a man says, I have faith, but doesn't have works? Can faith save him? Yeah, I've got faith. I've got faith. I've got my fire insurance. So he goes on to give an example. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and you say to him, be warm and filled, or I'll pray for you, brother. I'll pray for you, sister. And, and you just go your way, and you don't give him those things that are needed for his body. What does it profit? There's no profit in that. We all say stuff, right? Ladies, mouth mercy is cheap. It's cheap. We have to put our hands and our feet to what we say. And so James says, you show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. He said, you claim to believe in God. You do well. The demons believe and tremble. They have more sense than we do. Uh, in fact, remember when Jesus cast them out of the of, of the pigs, they said, if you come to torment us before the time, they know what's coming. They know the judgment that's coming at the last day. They're trembling about that. That's more than we do, right? But many today say, yeah, I believe in God. He says, you do well. The demons believe and tremble. Ladies, beware of the person that can articulate a good testimony. Beware of the person that speaks fluently regarding the scriptures, but doesn't live a holy life doesn't live a holy life. I remember Deb and I were at a conference several years ago. I wasn't teaching, but I had a book table there, and it was a male conference. We were at lunch, kind of like what we're doing downstairs, round tables. The ladies were over here. Some men, all the male speakers were right here, and the ladies are talking. But I'm, you know, I'm kind of, I can multitask. And uh, so I'm listening here, but I'm kind of listening here too. So I'm listening to these men talk, and, and one of them said, uh, you don't know me. You don't know who I am. Well, my name is blah, 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 and I travel with so-and-so, and I've written all these books, and I quickly looked at his name tag and uh, made a mental note. I'm not going to one thing that he's teaching this weekend because how arrogant. Well, I, I marked his name in my mind, and I found out a couple of years later that he had to step out of the pastorate. He was committing adultery with many, many women. Beware of the person that can preach a good sermon knows the Bible, but doesn't live a holy life. We talked about pornography last night. Uh, one of my dear friends in Tulsa that goes to a different church than I do, and they were searching for a pastor, and they had a Q&A during the search time, uh, and she asked him. I was, I was like, you really asked him that? She goes, I did. I said, well, good for you. She said, I asked him, when's the last time you looked at porn? And I was like, wow, that's a bold question, because, you know, the statistics of pastors that looked at pornography is pretty high, ladies. It's pretty high. Beware of a person that knows the Bible, can preach a good sermon, but doesn't live a holy life. John will say later on, by this is how we know we know him if we keep his commandments. He that says, I know him and doesn't keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. 
In fact, John does not say this is how we know we know him if we say we love God, or this is how we know we know him if we say we walk in the light, or this is how we know we know him if we pray to prayer, or this is how we know we know him if we say religious things and go to church. But this is how we know we know him if we keep his commandments. Ladies, the keeping of his commandments is an indicator of someone who is walking in the light and not walking in darkness. You know, if you really want to get to know somebody, their personal life, it's a good thing to ask their spouse, you know? <laughs> what what kind of a person are they at home? That's where we talked about last night. It's where, what do we do in the privacy of our home, right? Not that we're perfect, but ladies, our home should reflect who we truly are, right? Who we are. Well, John goes on to say, these guys who profess fellowship, yet they walk in darkness. They say they know me, but they walk in darkness, to walk in darkness means to live without the benefit of the divine light, to live a life of sin. And the walking here means to walk habitually. That is the course of their life. And it's not just the outward, it's also the inward. Ladies, God is just not looking for legalism. He's not looking for you to obey just because you have to and you do all this outward religious stuff. He's looking for an inward change of the heart. That was one of the major things I saw at the age of 30 when I bowed my knee to Christ and made him Lord. Uh, the things that I used to do because I had to do because I was a pastor's wife, you know, I found my heart changed. I delighted. It was a joy. I couldn't wait. Couldn't wait to get to church. Couldn't wait to get spend time in the Word. Couldn't wait to be with God's people. Before, it was because I had to. That's what pastor's wives did or they're supposed to do, Right? That's what, that's what he is saying here. We want, we want to do it inward and outward. And someone who's walking in darkness, it's not only outward darkness, it's inward darkness. They're living in sin. Now, ladies, there's a vast difference between sinning and walking in darkness. I want to make that very clear. Christians do sin. We do sin. Every one of you have sinned probably already today. In fact, right now you may have a thought about me that's sinful. That's okay. <laughs> God bless your sin, sick, shriveled soul. That's what my husband would say from the pulpit. But uh, we've all sinned today. We've probably all said a word we shouldn't have said. We probably all have had a thought we should not have thought, right? And before you go to bed tonight, you will have committed many more sins, right? Christians do sin, but we don't walk in sin. And we're going to see the beautiful in just a little bit next session. We, we have to we confess our sins, and he's faithful and just to forgive us, right? Christians do sin, but we hate it. Christians do sin, but we sin less and less, right? We're more and more conformed to the image of Christ. As my husband used to say, if you would look at yourself five years from now, you would be intimidated by that woman you're going to become. You're going to go, oh, she's a spiritual giant, right? Are you going to be perfect then? No. But you're going to be, wow, I've really grown. Or if you would look at yourself five years ago, and say, wow, was I even a Christian back then? So we do sin, right? But we hate it. We hate it. And we sin less and less because we're transformed from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. We should be changing. We should be growing. We should look more like Jesus today than we did last year. Ladies, Christians do sin, but they do not claim that sinning doesn't matter. That's what the false teachers say. It doesn't matter. They hate their sin. They can echo with the Apostle Paul, the good that I do, I don't do, the evil that I hate doing, that's what I end up doing. Oh, wretched man or oh, wretched woman that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? Ladies, Christians do not walk in darkness. 
Well, John goes on to give two characteristics of this one who walks in darkness. Notice what he says. The first characteristic is they lie. They lie. They are untruthful. They are deceived by falsehood. They deny liberty lib deliberately. Ladies, to lie or to be a liar is a serious accusation, right? So they're lying about their faith, who they really are. Ladies, we know all liars will have their place in the lake of fire. Those who love and make a lie will not be in heaven. What are they lying about? If they're walking in darkness but saying they're in the light, what are they lying about? They're lying about their salvation. Now, some are actually self-deceived. I was. If you would have asked me all those times from the age of five to the age of 30, if I was a Christian, I would have told you yes. And I genuinely believed I was a believer. I really believed that. But my life was one of habitual sin. In fact, my sin was not getting better. My sins were becoming worse. They were becoming more deceptive, and I was walking more and more in darkness. And I had to do a lot of lying to cover up that, right? So I was claiming to be a Christian, but I was lying. Not I, I was actually deceived, and I'm very thankful that when God saved me, because I would have been one of those on that day that said, Lord, Lord, I did this, I did that. He's going to say, I never knew you. <laughs> you worker of iniquity, I never knew you. You practice lawlessness. But God showed me my deception. So some are, some are lying to themselves. Some are self-deceived. Some actually know it. I do believe some people today that are professing to be Christians, but walking in darkness, they know they're not a Christian. And they're actually lying to themselves. And they know that to be true. Secondly, those who walk in darkness, John says, they don't practice the truth. Now, what does it mean to not practice the truth? Well, practicing the truth means they're not showing in their conduct, their feelings, their words, even in their thoughts, they're not doing the truth. Ladies, the false teachers in John's day had deceived themselves into thinking they had fellowship with God, and all the while they were practicing sin, not practicing the truth. Ladies, if we're going to claim we have partnership with God, then we must walk in the light, in the truth, right? It's about as ludicrous as saying when I was married, uh, that I was married to my husband and in a covenant with him, and yet maybe on the side I had five, ten guys, you know, that I was doing hanky-panky with. That's ludicrous, right? I was in a marriage covenant with my husband. That's the way it is with our relationship with God. Ladies, he's, he's made a covenant with us, right? He's going to put his spirit within us. He's going to cause us to walk in his ways. But we've made a covenant with him too. When we bowed the knee to Christ, we made a covenant. I deny myself, I take up my cross daily, and I follow you. My life is not my own. I'm going to lose my life. I'm not going to try to save it. I'm going to lose it for the gospel's sake, right? We made a covenant. But if I'm saying I have a, I'm in a covenant relationship with Christ, and yet I'm walking in darkness and I'm living in sin, that's ludicrous, isn't it? People can look at my, my life and say, what? I remember one woman told me one time, she said, if that woman, and I'm not pointing at any of you, sorry. So if that woman, <laughs> if that woman is going to be in heaven, I would rather go to hell than spend eternity with her, she told me. So this is a woman who was claiming to know Christ, but was living in darkness. And she said, I, I don't want to spend eternity with her. That's what John is saying. We are not practicing the truth. You're being ridiculous. You're being ludicrous. 
Ladies, we're a part of the bride of Christ, and we need to act like his bride, right? We're married to him, just like some of you are married to your husband. You know, that was the issue with those in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says at the end, I never knew you. I didn't have a relationship with you. I, I wasn't in partnership with you. In fact, he says you're practicing lawlessness. You pretended that you had partnership with me, but your conduct's corrupt. <laughs> Ladies, John and Jesus are calling for holy living, right? That's what this conference is about. We're to be separated. I'm not talking about legalism. We're to be separated. We're to be holy because we want to be holy, right? We don't want to live in darkness. And John is confronting those who are claiming that I can have fellowship with God and yet walk in sin. What does Paul say in Romans? Do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey in its lust. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as what? Being alive from the dead and your instruments as righteousness to God. In fact, Paul will say in another place, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is at your reasonable service. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? Renewing your mind. Ladies, our bodies are, are a temple of the Holy Spirit. As one man says, every time we sin, it's as if we walk up to the throne room of God, sit right before him while he's on the throne and commit that sin right in front of him. We're not to do that. Now, I know we're going to sin and we are going to sin, but we don't practice sin. We don't delight in sin. We don't love sin. We hate it. We try to flee from it. Ladies, we need to remind ourselves we were all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one of us are going to receive the things done in our body whether it's good or whether it's bad. And know, knowing this, no wonder Paul says, knowing this, we know the chair of the Lord, we persuade men. So if you're taking notes, the two characteristics of those who walk in darkness, they lie and they're not practicing the truth. Well, the good news is our last verse, and this is where I'm praying that every one of you in this room find yourself in this category. And my friend, if you don't, Will you bow the knee today? Don't be embarrassed about it. I was baptized as a pastor's wife, you know, and uh, that's okay. Uh, humble yourself. If you don't find yourself in verse 7, bow the knee today. Don't put it off. Today, the day of salvation. Uh, life is short. You don't know when you're going to step into eternity, right? Uh, we have no idea. Um, I didn't know my husband was going to pass away two years ago. Uh, we don't know. We don't know the day or the hour, right? And so if you don't find yourself in verse 7, I'm begging you, I beseech you, I bow the knee to Christ. Notice what he says. But, contrast, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The word but here is a contrast. But in contrast to those who are claiming to be in the light, and yet they're in darkness, we now have those who are walking in the light. This is the big contrast. What does it mean to walk in the light as he is in the light? Well, walking in the light as he is in the light means we reflect that light. Ladies, we're transparent. We're honest. We're open. We're sincere. We want to be like him, right? We're holy as he is holy. That's why I'm so curious at times with believers who do not want accountability. They don't want anyone knowing what's going on behind their closed doors. Why is that? I remember one lady called me recently from Canada, and she goes, I don't know what to do. She said, we're going through one of your Bible studies, 
And yet I have some ladies dropping out because they don't like your personal questions. Because at the end of all my studies, I have digging deeper questions. I have uh, memorization verse and usually application questions like, well, how are you going to apply this to your life? And she said, they don't like the personal questions. And I said, well, that's a bigger commentary on them than on anything else. I had another friend. I still mentor her. She's in another state. I've mentored her now for over a decade. And her pastor's wife came up to her and she goes, what kind of questions did Susan ask you the first time you met? So she told her just, you know, the Titus 2 stuff. Do you love your husband? Do you love your kids? Are you a keeper? I just went through all those things. And she goes, I would never ask somebody those kind of questions. And I'm like, whoa, that's the stuff that's in the Bible. Do you love your husband? If you don't, I want to teach you how to love your husband, right? Do you love your kids? If you don't, I want to teach you how to do that. I'm commanded by God. And I thought, those are just, when people say that stuff to me, I'm like, what? You know, it's not that you have to be an open book to everybody you know. you got to be wise, too, with who you say what to, right? But ladies, if we really want to grow in our relationship with Christ, we should be willing to be open, to be transparent. I need help with this. I need prayer. Would you pray for me? You know what? I'm really struggling in this area in my life. Uh, you know, after I became a widow, people would say, how can, you, how can I pray for you? What can I do for you? And often I would say, would you please pray for me that I will grieve to the glory of God? I don't want to have pity parties. I don't want to do all some things that I've seen other widows do. I don't want to do that. I want to keep going. Would you pray for me? And I would share when I was having weak moments. Uh, ladies, we need, we need each other. We need the help of one another. But I say, what are they hiding? What is, why are they not willing for accountability? Paul says in Ephesians 5 eight, you were once in darkness, but now you're, you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Ladies, we're in the either in the night and darkness or we're either in light and we're sons of the day. Now the walking here that he's mentioning here in verse 7 uh, in the Greek tense, it means that we keep on walking. Ladies, we stay on the road of light. We don't wander from the road of light to the road of darkness. We don't go back and forth. Yes, a righteous man falls down seven times. Yes, we're going to sin, but we don't stay in that darkness. I remember asking my husband one time, how long do you think a believer can actually stay in sin, like really live in it? And he said, Susan, well, we have one example in the Old Testament and one in the New one is David. He, he uh, with his sin with Bathsheba, he kept that quiet for a year. And then he mentioned the man in 1 Corinthians who was living in incest. And then in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, restore him. And that was about a year time. And I'm not saying that's a, that's, that's a given, God-given thing. But yet, ladies, genuine believers cannot stay in a state of darkness. We will, event that we will eventually get out of that, right? We might fall down, but we pick ourselves back up. We stay on the path of light. What does the writer to the Hebrews say? Now the just will live by faith, but if any man draws back, my soul will have no pleasure in him, right? Ladies, we are God's children. The writer to the Hebrews says, we are God's children if we persevere to the end, if we keep the faith to the end. Ladies, the saved woman does not draw back. They don't wander into apostasy. They live and walk by faith. So the first characteristics, characteristic of those who walk in the light is this. Notice what he says. They have fellowship with each other. They have fellowship with each other. Ladies, it is in, it's impossible for you and I to have fellowship or partnership with each other without first having fellowship with God, right? If we don't have a partnership with God, then we can't have fellowship with each other. You know, Debbie and I now have been traveling 26 years 
And it has been such a joy through the years as we go to different places, different conferences, different retreats with women. And, you know, sometimes we get there and our souls are immediately knit to many women. Why? We have fellowship with each other, right? These women are genuine believers. They love the Lord and they're my sisters in Christ and I, there's fellowship with them. And we've gone to other places where I'm like, oh, I don't know. I think this church is dead. Ichabod's written over it. And, uh, you know, we go to a lot of places where we, we go down like we are in a little bit and go down for lunch and Debbie and I sit at a table and nobody comes and talks to us. And I'm like, okay, tells me a lot about the pastor. And, uh, you know, that they're just not friendly. They're cold and we're like, we don't have much. There's some churches where I've been like, I remember one church, there, this is not my notes, but there was a couple ladies sitting on the front row and they were immodestly dressed and the whole, the whole, the whole conference was deader than a doornail. And a poor lady that invited me, she was trying to change things around in her church and I think Ichabod was written over the church. But anyway, these two ladies sitting on the front row, they were very distracting, very immodestly dressed and I found out later that they go to graves and try to call up the dead. And so that was kind of church I was in. I was like, okay, I, I didn't feel much fellowship with any of those women. I was glad we got out of there pretty quick, but uh, I've been in several places like that that um, I don't have time to talk to you about, but I'll write a book about it maybe someday, about all my journeys. But, uh, you know, it's wonderful to be with other believers, right? It's wonderful. And that's what John says. We, if you're walking in the light, you have fellowship with each other. Ladies, a good indicator of your heart is look at the company you keep. You know, your closest friends reveal quite a bit about your character. As we walk in the light, a natural outcome of walking in the light would be to fellowship with those who are in the light. That doesn't mean we don't company with sinners. We do. Jesus was a friend of sinners, right? We better be friends of sinners, but we don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, right? Or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful. We don't do that. We go for hopes of giving the gospel to them. Ladies, our closest companions, our soulmates, our best buds, should be those who are in the light. In fact, we know this to be true by the Greek word that John uses here when he says we have fellowship with one another. The word one another means one of the same kind. One of the same kind. Ladies, we gravitate towards those who are of the same kind, who are walking in the light. You've heard the story or the phrase, birds of a feather flock together. It's true. I mean, look at Jesus. Who were his three closest friends? Peter, James and John. Who was his closest? John, the disciple who he loved. You read John, you read 1 John, what a great guy, right? Uh, the Gospel of John. It's so true. A wise man chooses his friends carefully, as I said last night. Ladies, light attracts light, and darkness attracts darkness. Check your friends. Who are your closest friends? Are they the ones that you have real, genuine fellowship with? The second characteristic of those who walk in the light, notice what he says, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. What does it mean, the blood of Jesus cleanses us? Well, ladies, the cleansing of your sin took place with the death of Christ on the cross. We know that. He shed his blood for our sins, and the cleansing continues for those who are in Christ. As we walk, walk through life, we get dirty. We defile our hands. We defile our minds. And we know that we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And he keeps on cleansing us from all unrighteousness. The word for cleansing here in verse 7 means more than to forgive. It means to remove. We remove it. It's just like when someone finds out they have cancer. If they can, they remove the tumor, right? 
And then the cleansing or the process of healing starts taking place. <laughs> Ladies, Jesus removed the cancer of your sin through the shedding of his blood. As the psalmist says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Isn't it interesting? He says, as far as the east is from the west and not as far as the north is from the south. Because if you go north, you get to hit the North Pole. If you go south, you hit the South Pole. But if you go east, you just keep on going. If you go west, you just keep on going, right? Ladies, the blood of Jesus has cleansed you from all sin. He doesn't remember them anymore. He doesn't bring it up to your face. Aren't you glad? Like many of our well-meaning friends do. Don't you remember when you did that to me? You know, our, uh, God is forgiving. Sometimes our friends are not. And this cleansing is continuous. Notice it is Jesus Christ, God's Son, who cleanses us from all sin. And ladies, it wasn't just anyone's blood. It was the blood of God's Son, Jesus, who cleansed us. And not just one sin. Notice what he says, all sin, the whole of your sin. Ladies, Christ does not partially cleanse us. He thoroughly cleanses us. I've met women and they go, well, you know, God just can't forgive me for that abortion I had or God just can't forgive me for, you know, I met a woman one time, she, she before Christ was a drunkard, and she killed someone, in a, a she was driving and hit somebody, and uh, the boy died, and uh, she went to prison for it, but his parents came to prison, shared the gospel with her, and she became a believer. I said, you need to get over that guilt. God used that to bring his parents to the prison to share Christ with you, and you're saved now. So you need to stop putting that false guilt on yourself. But I've met women, they, they don't think God can forgive them. Ladies, there's nothing you and I have done that God cannot forgive. There's no sin. Paul was a murderer. He killed Christians. He was the chief of sinners. God forgave him. Don't, don't believe that lie of Satan. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Christ cleanses us from all sin, every one of them. And I don't know about you, that encourages me because, boy, I tell you, I can echo with Paul. I was the chief of sinners. There is no sin too big for God to give. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, Paul gives a, a list that's pretty gross when he says, do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Listen to what he says. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, none of them will inherit the kingdom of God. But then he says, but such were some of you. Now you're washed, now you're clean. Isn't that great? Ladies, that describes us, right? We were all there. Paul echoes the same thing John has said. These sins were from our former life before Christ. They're not sins fitting for one who claims to have fellowship with God. Ladies, the fact that Christ has atoned for our sin once and for all should motivate us to live holy each day. And if that doesn't motivate you for holy living, I don't know what will. He's cleansed you from every sin you've ever committed. And that should be a joy. So in summary, here's the character of God. He is light and there's absolutely no darkness in him. Is Jesus your light in this dark world? Secondly, we have the character of those walking in darkness. They lie and they do not practice the truth. Are you walking in darkness or are you walking in light? And then the character of those walking in the light, they have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses them from all their sin. Do you have fellowship with like-minded believers? Has Christ's blood cleansed you from all your sin? Do you think there's a sin that you have committed 
that Christ cannot cleanse you from. In closing, John mentions two walks here, two roads. One is the road that's dark. There is no light to guide those walking on the road of darkness. As Jesus said, this road is wide and broad, but that road leads to destruction. Those who lie and do not practice the truth travel that road. The other road John mentions is the road that is light. Jesus calls it the narrow road, the narrow gate, but it leads to life. John says those who walk down this road of light have continued fellowship with each other and the privilege of having their sins cleansed. Which road are you traveling down? The dark, broad road that leads to destruction or the narrow road of pure light which leads to eternal life? Ladies, if you're not walking the narrow road, the road of light, why not make a U-turn today? from the broad road to the narrow road, which leads to life everlasting. Then and only then will you enjoy the one we love and serve, Jesus, the pure light. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Oh, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. We are called by your name, and we're so thankful for our salvation, Father. I do pray that if there's one woman here that is struggling with assurance of her salvation, pray that you would continue to work in her life. I pray, dear Spirit of God, you won't let her go. I pray for those of us that are claiming to walk in the light, Lord, maybe make sure we're living lives of holiness, not toying around with darkness, not playing with sin, dabbling in things that we should not be, Father. Lord, we thank you for this time that we have together. Continue to use it for your purposes. And may each of us, Lord, examine ourselves and make sure, uh, Lord, that we are truly in the light as you are in, in the light. Thank you, Father, for being the light of the world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.